This is the Liquidity Podcast from Loot Ventures, where we talk about all things related to venture liquidity. This is Doug Clinton, partner at Loot Ventures. I'm running the show solo today, and one of the big topics that we've been talking a lot about on liquidity recently has been direct listings. And today I wanted to take a few minutes to respond to some recent negative commentary on direct listings. There's a company called Renaissance Capital. They've written a few posts now that criticize direct listings. One of them they call direct listings fake IPOs. The most recent one is entitled the direct listing bailout for unicorn investors. And while direct listings aren't perfect vehicles to go public, nothing really is. I don't think that the characterization that Renaissance makes is really fair for direct listings. So I'm going to go through their arguments line by line and just try to inject some objectivity into the conversation. So the first point that they made in this most recent post was that there's no lockup in an IPO. And I'll read the text from their post. No lockup. In a traditional IPO, insiders are contractually prevented from selling shares for 180 days or more. This is not true for direct listings. Lockups exist to force investors to wait for one or two quarterly reporting periods before they can sell. Lockups discourage insiders from offering overly optimistic guidance and then failing to deliver. Later in the article, they build on the point saying that in a secondary direct listing of insider shares, the prospectus is declared effective 10 days prior to the offering date. This allows the company to issue forward guidance and talk to shareholders because the company isn't offering shares. But if the company is selling shares, what would the rules on forward guidance be? The simultaneous direct listing of primary and secondary shares opens the door to unfair discrimination between public investors, insiders, and issuers. And so... This first argument, in my opinion, sort of fails the test of logic. So for a management company to come out, issue overly optimistic guidance to benefit themselves, sell shares, which they would have to file with the SEC if they do file shares, which would then make it known to public investors, it just doesn't make sense for management to burn their new investor base, and their employees too. By them exiting the company, issuing overly optimistic guidance, they will then obviously be reevaluated by the public, by public market investors. The stock will go down and there'll probably be a long period of distrust from public market investors, which will hurt the share price, which will obviously upset all the employees who have stock and stock options at the company. So to do what Renaissance is saying could happen, and it could happen, that's true, it could happen. It would be really short-sighted by any management team that would actually do that. So I think that even though it's possible something like this could happen, it's highly improbable just because of the downstream effect. You know, if you destroyed your relationship with public investors, then it would be really hard to build that back. It'd take a very long time for any company to recover from that unless the management was planning on, you know, leaving the company or something in short order after issuing such guidance and then selling their shares. Of the five arguments that Renaissance makes in their article, this is the one where I think there may be some opportunity to improve direct listings to protect investors. And it could simply be that, you know, officers and directors of a company involved in a direct listing, they're locked up, but the rest of the insiders, so early employees, maybe early investors, they are still liquid on day one. 
and you still get the benefits of the larger float from the direct listing. So on to point two from Renaissance, which is the lack of transparency in the pricing process. And they write that in the Spotify offering, the company had an NYSE reference price of $132 determined by an internal valuation. Private market trading in the company preceding the listing ranged from $49 to $132.50 from January to March 2018. And Spotify did their direct listing just for reference in April 2018, which provided investors no real reliable frame of reference, according to Renaissance. I think this is a bit of a cherry pick argument. They mentioned Spotify here specifically, but they don't talk about Slack. That's because Slack provided a bit more information about the pricing and how they reach their reference price. In their prospectus, they offer the same history of secondary share transactions over about an 18-month period before the direct listing, just like Spotify did. And they also gave a metric called volume-weighted average price for the shares that were sold in the secondary market. And it's basically just the number of shares times the amount paid per share in those secondary transactions. Spotify did not give what's called VWAP for short in their prospectus. And for reference on Slack, their volume weighted average price just ahead of the direct listing in the quarter most recent ahead of their direct was $26.82. The reference price, which is just an anchor, by the way, that the NYSE or whoever is doing the direct listing sets, it really doesn't mean anything. It's not necessarily where trading will open, but Slack's reference price was 26. So the most recent volume weighted average price, 26.82, reference price 26. And then the stock opened at 38.50. Based on the supply and demand in the market, it closed that day at 38.62. So it seemed like the pricing actually worked out pretty well. You didn't have some huge first day pop, which is one of the points of doing a direct listing to get a more efficient market price at the open, at the outset. And I'd also say more importantly to this point about the lack of transparency on pricing, no one's forcing any investors to invest in a direct listing. When a company does a direct listing, if the public market investors don't like the prevailing market price based on supply and demand in the market, they don't have to buy shares. If there are no buyers when a company does a direct, then the price will obviously come down and adjust to market demand, just like any market-based pricing mechanism. So I think transparency about how the reference price is set, it really doesn't matter because investors that have done their work on the company can make an informed decision about whether or not the opening price, regardless of whether the reference price is set, is attractive to them or not, and then they can act as they see fit. third argument that Renaissance makes is that there's no real price discovery in a direct listing. So they write, in a traditional IPO, the proposed offering has a price range, which is based on internal valuations, comparisons with publicly traded comparables, and feedback that the bankers get from potential investors. In an NYSE direct listing, the initial trading price is set by market makers based on order flow at the opening of trading. Yet, the track records of Slack, which is down more than 40% since its opening trade, and Spotify, which is down 13%, suggests that this process gives insiders the chance to sell at or near the high on the first day of trading. So this 
argument to me is really a head scratcher. Price discovery, I think, is better with a direct listing than an IPO because you're literally having the public pricing process to get that market price. As they describe, market makers are setting a price based on order flow, where with a traditional IPO, your bankers are obviously getting indications of interest from potential buy side investors, but then they are ultimately setting the price. And we just talked about Slack, where they opened and closed in their first day of trading that was up less than 1% from where it opened. That's pretty good price discovery to me. That's a market efficient price. You didn't have a huge IPO pop, which is one of the things that is the basis for why people are excited about direct listings. So I'm not sure how price discovery is better by this logic with an IPO than a direct listing. And when I think of price discovery, I think price discovery is always about a price at a point in time based on the information known at that time. And then as information changes over time, known to the public markets, so will the price. So Spotify has been public for a year and a half now. They've reported multiple quarters for investors to consider the new information and process that information. So to say that Spotify with the stock down after some arbitrary period after its IPO means that it was a failure of price discovery doesn't really make any sense to me. By the same logic, Uber and Lyft would have to be failures of price discovery too, and they were traditional IPOs. Now, they may be making the argument that with a typical IPO, there can be some volatility between the IPO and the lockup period, especially ahead of the lockup period. But if that is the case, if that's what they're trying to argue, the direct listing and the fact that there isn't a lockup and that all shares are able to float at the direct listing is a benefit by this logic again, because you don't have this limited float that creates a volatile stock where maybe you're not getting true price discovery until you have a fuller float in the market. A direct listing would obviously take care of that issue, which sort of ties into the fourth point that they make. So their fourth negative point on direct listings is that there's no set number of shares at the time of the listing. And they write, in a direct listing, selling shareholders or the company register a specified number of shares to be sold, but the number of shares that are actually sold could be more or less. In the Slack listing, for example, 118 million shares were registered, but another 164 million shares were eligible to be sold. In the Spotify listing on the NYSE, 55.7 million shares were registered, but another 106 million were eligible to be immediately traded. I mean, that's the beauty of the open market process. If all of those incremental shares come onto the market, then prices will go down. They'll adjust because supply will outstrip the established demand balance that was set by whatever the prevailing price was. So I don't really see what the issue is here because the market will just efficiently adjust to the incremental supply if it does come onto the market if sellers are attracted to the prices being offered. And so that brings us to their last point, which is there is no roadshow for a direct listing. And they write, in a traditional IPO, the company meets with investors in one-on-one -on -one meetings and group lunches and posts a publicly available net roadshow. In a direct listing, the company has a quote-unquote investor day, which in practice has been a single webcast. This isn't really true. As far as I have heard, direct listing companies, for the most part, have relationships and build relationships with the same major investors before they go public. They really get the majority of attention on roadshows. If you've never been on a roadshow, these sort of group lunches are 
not all that dissimilar, I would say, from a webcast. You don't necessarily get the chance to go up and have a true interaction with management. There's usually a lot of people in the room. And I don't think that reducing that factor really changes the ability for investors to do research on the company and try to establish an intelligent opinion on the company as it goes for a direct listing. And just to wrap it up, I mean, not every company should do a direct listing. And in particular, if a company needs to raise capital as part of their public listing, you can't do a direct listing right now. It's not possible to do that. Even with some of the innovation going on with the NYSE and the recent filing that they had with the SEC that was rejected and I'm sure will continue to be worked on. But if you don't have the brand that a Spotify or a Slack do, you might be better off doing a traditional offering, a traditional IPO. I think direct tools are certainly a viable tool. I think that we will absolutely be seeing more direct listings over the coming years, but you can't have a bailout when someone needs to be on the other end to buy your shares. You have to have demand for your shares in the public market at a fair price. Again, no one can force the public markets to buy the shares of these unicorns. The price will adjust to a level where they are comfortable, and that's what you will discover from doing a direct listing. We'll leave it there this time. Thanks, as always, for listening to Liquidity. Liquidity. 